Chapter One of A Little Country Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. A Little Country Girl by Susan Coolidge. Chapter One On the Eolus. It was on one of the cool, brilliant days which early June brings to the Narragansett country that the steamer Eolus pushed out from Whitford Pier on her afternoon trip to Newport. The sky was of a beautiful translucent blue. The sunshine had a silvery rather than a golden radiance. A sea wind blew up the western passage, so cool as to make the passengers on the upper deck glad to draw their wraps about them. The low line of the mainland beyond Conanicut and down to Beaver Tail glittered with a sort of clear-cut radiance and seemed lifted a little above the water. Candace Arden heard the captain say that he judged from the look of things that there was going to be a change of weather before long. Captain Peleg King was a great favourite on his line of travel. He had a pleasant, shrewd face, grizzled hair, a spare, active figure, and he seemed to notice every one of his passengers and to take an interest in them. "'Going down to Newport, miss?' he said to Candice, after giving her one or two quick looks. The question was superfluous, for the Olias went nowhere else except to Newport. But it was well meant, for the captain thought that Candice seemed lonely and ill at ease, and he wished to cheer her up. "'Yes, sir,' she answered shyly. "'Your folks there for the summer?' he went on. "'No, sir. I'm going to stay with my cousin, Mrs. Gray.' "'Mrs. Courtney Gray, you mean, I guess. "'Well, it's queer, but I sort of thought that you favoured her a little. "'She's down early this year. "'I fetched her and the family across on my evening trip more than two weeks ago. "'Mrs. Gray's a mighty nice lady. "'I'm always pleased when she comes aboard. "'Wouldn't you like to take a seat at the wheelhouse, miss? "'The wind's blowing pretty fresh.' Candace was not aware that this was a distinguishing attention "'which the captain did not pay to everybody.' and which she owed partly to her connection with Mrs. Gray, and partly to her solitary look, which had touched Captain Peleg's benevolent heart. He had a girl of his own over to Wickford, who was about the same age, and it made him kind of tender toward other girls who didn't seem to have anyone to look after them. But the wind was fresh, and it was pleasant to be spoken to and noticed by someone on this, the first long journey of her short life. So she thankfully accepted the captain's invitation, and let him escort her along the deck, and assist her to mount the two steps which led into the wheelhouse. It was rather a pleasant-looking place in which she found herself. Three sides of the little enclosure were lined with windows, through which the green shores, which seemed to be rapidly drifting past them, could be seen. The fourth side was filled with a long, cushioned bench. In the middle of the glass front was a big brass wheel, shining with polish and friction and revolving artistically in the hands of its steersman, who kept his eyes fixed alternately on the water and on his compass. There seemed to be no regulation against speaking to this man at the wheel, or if there were, it was not strictly regarded, for two young ladies, who were already ensconced in one corner of the long seat, were plying him with all manner of questions. They were rather pretty girls of that hard modern type which carries the air of knowing everything worth the knowing, having a right to everything worth the having, and being fully determined to claim that right to its fullest extent. As Candace entered, 
they favoured her with one rapid scrutinising glance that took in every detail of her apparel from the goatskin boots which were too large for her feet to the round hat whose every bow bore witness to a country milliner and after that they noticed her no more she for her part only too glad to be left unnoticed looked shyly out of the corners of her eyes at them they seemed to her inexpressibly stylish for their tailor-made suits though almost as plain as her own dress and jacket of blue alpaca had that perfect fit and finish which makes the simplest dress seem all that can be desired there was a knowing look to each little detail from the slender silver bangles which appeared beneath the loose wrinkled wrists of their very long gloves to the tortoise-shell pins with which their hats were fastened to the tightly braided hair coiled low down on the nape of the neck candace's hair fell in curls to her waist she had always worn it so and no one had ever thought anything about it but now all in a moment she felt that it was wrong and improper been up to new york miss joy said the captain no only as far as the junction to meet a friend replied the prettier of the two girls why weren't you on the boat this morning captain i was on the boat i never miss a trip except sometimes the night one in the summer time when the sleeping train is a-running i don't always come over in that let me see how did i come to miss you to-day oh i sat in the ladies cabin all the way not on deck but i didn't see you when we landed well i don't know how it happened i'm sure are your folks down for the season yes that is mamma and i and my brother are here my married sister won't come till next month then she turned to her friend but without lowering her voice you can't think how dull it's been ethel no men no dinners nothing on as yet the casino is only just opened and people haven't begun to go there we tried to get up a tennis match but there weren't enough good players to make it worth while there's absolutely nothing mrs courtney gray had a girls lunch on tuesday but that is all and that didn't count for much that's georgie gray's mother isn't it is she there oh yes she and gertrude all the grays they're as nice and delightful as can be of course but somehow they're so literary and quiet and mrs gray is awfully particular about the girls she makes them keep on with studying all summer and she's so exclusive she won't let them visit half the new people gracious why not oh i don't know she says they're not good form and all that but i'm sure she knows queer people enough herself there is that tiresome old miss gisborne down in washington street the girls are forever going there and i've seen them myself ever so many times coming out of the hairs and they take boarders fancy how extraordinary oh there are the frigates for the aeolus leaving the wooded warlike bank of gall's island behind and rounding a point had now reached the small curving bay to the eastward of coasters harbour where lay the training ships the new hampshire and the minnesota it was a beautiful sight the two great war vessels at anchor with their tall tapering spars and flying flags reflected in the water on which they floated lines of glinting white flashed along the desk for it was wash day and the men's clothes were drying in the sun two or three barges were disembarking visitors at the gangway ladders and beyond them a sailboat was waiting its turn to do the same on the pier a file of blue uniformed boys were marching with measured tread the sound of their feet came across the distance 
like the regular beat of a machine. A girl in a rowboat was just pushing out from the farther beach, above which rose a stone house covered with vines. That's Miss Isherwood, said one of the young ladies. She's a splendid rower, and Tom says she swims as well as he does. The whole scene was like enchantment to Candace, who had lived all her life among the hills of Connecticut, and had never till that day seen the ocean. She was much too shy to ask questions, but she sat like one in a dream, taking in with wide-open eyes all the details of the charming view, the shores broken by the red-roofed villas and cottages rising from clouds of leafy greenery, the torpedo island with its tall flagstaff and floating banner over the dwelling of the commandant, Fort Adams, whose steep glasses seemed powdered with snow just then, from the multitude of daisies in bloom upon them, the lighthouses, the soft rises of hill, and beyond the shivering heave of the open sea. Catboats and yachts flitted past in the fair wind like large white-winged moths. Rowboats filled with pleasure parties dipped their oars in the wake of the Aeolus. Steam launches with screeching whistles were putting into their docks. Among old boathouses and warehouses painted dull red or turned of a blackish grey by years of exposure to weather. Behind rose Newport with the graceful spire of Trinity Church and the long bulk of the ocean house surmounting the quaint buildings on the lower hill. The boat was heading toward a wharf, black with carriages, which were evidently drawn up to wait the arrival of the Aeolus. There's Mrs. Gray's team now, miss, said the sharp-eyed captain. Come down for you, I reckon. The two girls glanced at her, and then at each other. They shrugged their shoulders, and Candace heard one of them whisper, did you ever and the reply no but after all we didn't say anything very bad and who would have dreamed that a hat like that had anything to do with the grays she felt herself blush painfully the hat was a new one of brown straw trimmed with dark blue ribbon she had felt rather proud of it when it came home from the milliners the day before and had considered the little blue pom-pom with which miss wilson who was authority in matters of fashion in north tolland had enriched the middle bow as a masterpiece of decoration alas the apple of knowledge was at her lips already she felt herself blush at the comments of these unknown girls whose hats were so different from her own and was thoroughly uncomfortable though she could hardly have told why captain peleg politely carried her bag for her across the landing plank to where the team a glossy coupe with one horse was waiting he beckoned to the smart coachman, who wore a dark green overcoat with big metal buttons to draw nearer. "'Here's your passenger,' he said, helping Candace into the carriage. "'Good day, miss. I hope we'll see you again on the Aeolus. "'All right, driver.' "'Oh, thank you,' cried Candace, finding voice and forgetting shyness in her gratitude. "'You've been real kind to me, Captain.' "'That child's got mighty pretty eyes,' soliloquized Captain King as he marched down the wharf. I wonder what relation she is to the Greys. She don't seem their sort exactly. She's been raised in the country, I expect. But Mrs. Gray'll polish her up if anybody can, or I'm mistaken. Steady there. Where are you about? As a trunk came bounding and ricocheting across the gangway. This wharf ain't no skittle ground. Meanwhile, the coupe was slowly climbing a steep side street which led to the avenue. Looking forth with observant eyes, Candace noted how the houses which at first were of the last century build, 
with hipped roofs and dormer windows like those to which she was accustomed in the old hill village that had been her birthplace gave way to modernized old houses with recent additions and then to houses which were unmistakably new and exhibited all manner of queer peaks and pinnacles and projections shingled painted in diverse colors and broken by windows of oddly tinted glass next the carriage passed a modern church built of pinkish brown stone and immediately after the equable roll of wheels showed that they were on a smooth macadamized road it was in fact though candace did not know it the famous bellevue avenue which in summer is a favorite drive for all fashionable persons and thronged from end to end on every fair afternoon by all manner of vehicles from dainty pony wagons to enormous mail coaches there were only a few carriages in sight now though they seemed many to our little country maid shops were opening for the season men were busy in hanging eastern rugs and curtains up to view and arranging in the windows beautiful jars and plates of porcelain and pottery glittering wares from turkey and damascus carved furniture and inlaid cabinets half a dozen florists exhibited masses of hothouse flowers amid a tangle of palms and tree ferns beyond was the announcement of an opening by a well-known dressmaker whose windows were hung with more beautiful things than Candace, in her small experience, had ever dreamed of before. Laces, silks, embroideries. The shops gave way to houses, each set in a courtyard gay with newly planted beds of flowers or foliage plants. Vines clustered everywhere. The trees, not yet fully in leaf, were like a tossing spray of delicate fresh green. A sense of hope, of expectation, of something delightful which was being prepared for, seemed to be in the air suddenly the coupe turned in between a pair of substantial stone gateposts and drew up before a large square house with piazzas on two sides and a small but very smooth lawn whose closely cut grass looked like green velvet it was dappled with weeping trees and evergreens and hedged with a high wall of shrubs which shut off the view of the street a continuous flower bed ran all round the house close to its walls planted full of geraniums heliotrope nasturtiums mignonette and pansies every window and balcony boasted its box of ferns or flowers and in spite of the squareness of the building and the sombre green grey with which it was painted the general effect was of cheerfulness and shade broken by colour an effect which is always pleasant candace had forgotten herself in the excitement of new sights and experiences but her shyness came back with a rush as the carriage stopped and the door was opened by a very smart french butler is mrs gray at home she asked timidly bending forward c'est sunday mademoiselle s'il vous plaît madame est occupée pour le moment il y a du monde dans le salon then seeing the perplexed look in candace's eyes he explained in broken english miss is to get out madame is busy with company for a little while miss will please go upstairs candace got out the carriage drove away and she followed the butler into the hall he gave a low call at the foot of the stairs which brought down a lady's maid with a ruffed cap perched on the back of her head this way if you please miss she said and led candace up the staircase which was a wide one with three square turns and a broad landing lit with a range of windows and furnished with a low cushioned seat 
then came an upper hall, and she was shown into a pretty corner room. "'If you'll please sit down and rest yourself, miss,' said the maid. "'Mrs. Gray'll be up as soon as some company she has is gone. "'Would you like to have a cup of tea, miss?' "'No, thank you,' faltered Candace, and then the maid went away, shutting the door behind her. The room, which had no bed in it, and was, in fact, Mrs. Gray's morning room, was so full of curious things that Candace's first thought was that it would take a week at least to see half that was in it. The sage-green walls were thickly hung with photographs, watercolours, charcoal sketches, miniatures, bits of fails, lacquered trays and discs, and great shining circles of Syrian and Benares metalwork. There were many pieces of pottery of various sorts set here and there, on the chimney-piece, on bookshelves, and on top of a strangely carved black cabinet, with hinges and handles of wrought iron. In one corner stood an Italian spinning-wheel of ebony and silver, in another an odd instrument whose use Candace could not guess, but which was in reality a Tyrolean zither. An escritoire drawn near a window was heaped with papers and with writing appliances of all sorts and all elegance. There were many little tables covered with books and baskets of crawls and silks, and easy chairs of every description. Every chair back and little stand had some quaint piece of lace work or linen work thrown over it. It was, in fact, one of those rooms belonging distinctly to our modern life, for the adornment of which every part of the world is ransacked and the products set forth in queer juxtapositions to satisfy or to exhibit the varied tastes and pursuits of its occupants. To Candace it was as wonderful as any museum, and while her eyes slowly travelled from one object to another, she forgot her strangeness and was happy. Tip, 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 went the little French clock on the mantelpiece. Suddenly it struck her that it was a long while that she had been left alone in this room. She glanced at the clock. It really was almost an hour. All her latent homesickness returned with fresh force. Her eyes filled with sudden tears. In another moment she would have been actually crying, but just then came a quick step, a little rustle, and she had just time to wipe away the drops when the door opened and Mrs. Gray hurried into the room. My poor child, she exclaimed, have you been alone all this time? It is quite too bad. I made sure that I should hear the carriage drive up and at least run out and give you a welcome, but somehow I didn't, and people came so fast and thick that I couldn't get a chance to glance at the clock. She kissed Candace and looked at her with a sort of soft scrutiny. It was to the full as penetrating as that of the strange girls on the steamer had been, but it did not hurt like theirs. Mrs. Gray had beautiful, big, short-sighted blue eyes with black lashes, when she smiled, they seemed to brim with a sudden fascinating radiance. She smiled now, and reminded Candice somehow of a great, soft, fully opened garden rose. You have something of your mother's looks, Cannie, she said. I knew her best when she was about your age. I never saw much of her after she married your father and went up to live among the hills. She sighed softly. There was a short pause. Then, with a sudden change of tone, she continued, And all this time... You have never been shown your room. I can't think why they were so stupid. Who was it put you in here, Cannie? It was a lady in a cap, replied Candice hesitatingly. A lady? Cap? Oh, it must have been Elizabeth. She's my maid. Don't make such a mistake again, dear. 
You must learn to discriminate. Well, come with me now, and let me see you comfortably established. The girls are gone on a yachting party to the upper end of the island. It was an old engagement made before your aunt's letter came, or they would not have been absent when you arrived. They were very sir, but in the very middle of the word came Frederick, the butler, with the announcement of new visitors, and just taking time to lead Candace down the entry to a room whose door stood wide open, Mrs. Gray hurried away, saying rapidly, Take off your hat, dear. Lie down for a rest. Hadn't you better? I'll be up again presently. I wonder if everybody is always in a hurry in Newport, Candace thought. But she was alone again, but this time she felt no disposition to cry. Her trunk had been brought up by somebody, and stood already in its place, with the straps unloosened. She took off her hat and jacket, unpacked a little, and peeped out of the window to see where she was. The room faced the east, and across a corner of the lawn and the stable-yard she had a glimpse of the sea, which had become intensely blue with the coming of the later afternoon. Oh, that is good, she said to herself. I shall see it all summer. She glanced about the room with a growing sense of proprietorship, which was pleasant. It was not a large room, but it looked cheerful with its simple furniture of pale-coloured ash and a matted floor, over which lay a couple of Persian rugs. There was a small fireplace bordered with blue tiles, which matched the blue papering on the walls, and the tiles on the washstand, and the chintz of the easy chair and lounge and the flower jars on the mantelpiece were blue also. Altogether, it was a pretty little chamber, with which any girl might be sufficiently well pleased, and as Candace noticed the tiny nosegay of mignonette and tea-roses which stood on the bureau, her heart lightened with the sense that it had been put there for her. Someone had thought of her coming and prepared for it. She brushed out her curls and washed her face and hands, but did not change her dress. The blue alpaca was the newest she had, and she wished to look her best on that first evening. She sat down in the window to listen to the soft boom of the surf, which seemed to grow louder as the night drew on, and did not hear Mrs. Gray as she came down the entry. The lady stood a moment in the half-open door, surveying her young visitor. "'What am I to do with her?' she thought. "'I want to befriend Candace's child, but I did not quite realise till I saw her just now what a disadvantage she would be at among all these girls here with their french clothes and their worse than french ideas she's not plain there's a good deal of beauty about that shy little face of hers and refinement too if only she were not so awkward if i can once get her into a dress that fits and do something with that mop of curls she would look well enough i wonder if she will take it kindly or flare up and feel offended at every suggestion that would be terrible you are listening to the surf, dear. I'm afraid it means rain tomorrow. That sound generally is a symptom of mischief. Is it? said Candace. What a pity. A pity about the rain? No, but it's such a pretty sound. So it is. Well, if you are ready, let us go downstairs. I expect the girls every moment. Ah, there they are now. The line of windows on the staircase landing commanded a view of the gate and approach and looking through them Candice saw a village cart with two girls in the front seat, one driving, and a third girl on the rumble behind, approaching the house. A couple of young men on horseback rode close beside the cart. One of them jumped from his horse, helped the young ladies out. There was a moment of laughter and chat, 
Then, touching their hats, the riders departed, and the three girls came into the hall. "'Mamma! Mammy! Where are you, dear?' sang out three youthful voices. "'Here I am, halfway upstairs,' replied Mrs. Gray, seating herself on the cushioned bench on the landing. "'What on earth are you doing up there? And who's that with you?' "'It's your cousin Candice. Come up and be introduced.' Up they came at a run, each trying to be the first to arrive. Candice had never known many girls, but these were of a different species from any she had seen before. They seemed full of spirits and conveyed the idea of being, so to speak, bursting with happiness, though I suppose not one of the three would have resented the imputation of being happier than people in general are or ought to be. Georgie, the eldest, was short and round, and had her mother's blue, near-sighted eyes without her mother's beauty. Gertrude was unusually tall, and had a sort of lily-like grace. Her light hair was very thick, and so fine in quality that it stood out like a nimbus round her pale, pretty face. Little Marian, the youngest, two years Candace's junior, was not yet in society, but had been allowed to go to the picnic as a great favour. Her hair was a reddish tint in its chestnut, and was braided in one large plait down her back. She had brown eyes and a capable little face which was full of expression. They all spoke kindly to Candace, they all kissed her, but she felt much less at ease with them than with their mother, whose peculiarly charming manner seemed to invite confidence from everybody. After a few questions and a few words of welcome, they plunged into a description of their picnic, the yacht sail, the landing, the luncheon, the general delightfulness of everything. Very Joy was not there, remarked Georgie. She had gone up to Wickford to meet someone. By the way, she must have come down on the Eolus with you, Candice. Did you see her? There were two young ladies, answered Candice timidly. Did you hear their names? Did you talk to them? asked Gertrude. No, yes, no. I mean, Captain called one of them Miss Joy. I didn't talk to them, but they knew you. Why, how could you tell that? I heard them talking about you. What fun! What did they say? Candice hesitated. Her face grew crimson. I'd rather, I don't, she began, then with a great effort, rallying her powers, she went on, I didn't like to sit there and hear them, and not tell them that I was your cousin, but I was too, too frightened to speak to them, so I thought I would never repeat what they said, and then it wouldn't be any matter. Quite right, Cannie, said Mrs. Gray quickly. Something in the girl's little speech seemed to please her very much. End of chapter one.